Hello and welcome to the Ramen Profitable Podcast. My name is Atish Mazumdar and I'm here with my co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing out your ideas, taking your first steps, and really overcoming those obstacles on the way to entrepreneurship. Enjoy. I'm helping a friend edit his feature and it's an interesting process. Uh, working with working with someone on their first feature mm. after completing my first feature and having my own experiences and trying to uh, uh, do things that will motivate his decisions because I just mm-hmm. know that he's kind of wrong in some aspects. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's tough to because, you know, it, so this guy made this film in 2012. I made oh, my this has fe- already been made. Yeah, he shot it in 2012, and then he had like uh, some personal issues. He got a divorce. Oh. His editor like crapped out on him, and they okay. never got a chance to finish the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And it kind of so now uh, he helped me. He helped me on uh, Downshift. Okay, and he was like, "Oh, I should finish my movie." So then he got motivated to actually finish the movie. So the movie's finally all edited, but now he's just trying to figure out how to make the audio sound better and how to you know make the color look better. Well, so this might be like a really rookie question because I don't know anything about this, but it's like, is that actually possible to do on something that's been shelved for eight years? Oh, yeah. There's definitely, there's definitely, especially now with how editing is going, you can definitely make things sound better. Oh, okay. And I guess it depends on what you want the look to be because the way they shot it, they shot it pretty, like fairly nicely. Okay. If, If that's the proper way to say that. What do you mean by that? Um, like it's it was um there's only a few parts where it's like poorly lit but like okay. the it's consistent with its lighting and it's it's good mm-hmm. it's it's solid it's it's mm-hmm. consistent i think consistent is sometimes uh more beneficial to a film than like good here and then one really bad one oh sure 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 so like as opposed to you can have one really great set piece and one really great shot but then if you if it's like counterbalanced against something that looks kind of garbage, it's it's probably preferable to have just an average like good. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do find with independent films, I, I find this with stuff that I do, too. It's like there's always one moment where like a really bad actor shows up in a scene mm-hmm. and it kind of just takes everybody out of the, the moment. Mm. Uh, or this one shot is weird or this one edit is weird and it kind of just takes everyone out. If people have to stop and go, huh, what was that? Yeah. Then it's not good for your movie. That's, that's interesting that you bring that up because, um, are you aware currently that Matthew McConaughey is pushing a book? Uh, no, I know he's been like talking to everybody. Is that what it's for? That's what it's for. Okay. Because all of a sudden, like I wasn't, you know, I've kind of been, uh, I've been listening to a lot of books lately. I haven't been, uh, up on my podcast game. Uh, it may surprise you or not surprise you. And in fact, this might be good stuff for a mini episode, another mini episode, but I've been off the Rogan podcast, which is, uh, (laughs) Chris is not, not like in a, not in a, uh, like in a concerted effort as in like, Oh, Screw the Rogan podcast. Like, not anything like that. Um, it just seems like but, so much work. Like, you were comparing Lord of the Rings and uh, what was the other one? Uh, the other fantasy movie that you don't like? Oh. Uh, uh, I don't remember. But it wasn't that good. Maybe it was uh, 
Who knows? But I, mean, I, I didn't like, like Blade Runner. If that's no, 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 it was another fantasy movie. You were comparing Lord of the Rings and something else because you thought Lord of the Rings was just such a drudge to get through. Maybe it was Harry a drag. Potter. It was a that's drag. Not a, it's not a drag. It's not a drag. It's a it's hero's a, journey. No, it's not. Dude, it's a drag. It's a, like, it's a drag. No, it's not. But like uh, like a Joe Rogan podcast, though, so it's like three hours an episode, right? Yeah, just about. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, but when your work day is basically a <laughs> monotony of, you know, whatever, it really kind of helps pass the time. No, okay, so here's, I mean, yeah, we'll... We'll address this in a mini episode. My my gr- my gripe with recent Rogan, um, but in short, actually, there are many gripes I have with with recent Rogan. But it's not as though I've been doing like a specific, uh, like I haven't been listening or anything yeah, you, like that. You haven't done an official breakup yet, right? I haven't done an official breakup, and before anybody starts speculating or before you start speculating, it's not for any reasons like. Actually, it's 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 because more of what society has done to it as opposed to what he has done to it. It has nothing to do with okay. him, actually. It has more to do with the fact that, like, all of a sudden, it's politicized. Like, it's turf. But uh-huh. I started listening to the Rogan podcast back around episode 400 and, or 500. For context, I think they're in 1400s now. So nearly 1,000 different from or 1,000 have been done mm-hmm. since I started listening. So I started back in college around sometime. And um, it used to be just a lot of like comedians shooting the shit or like, oh, here's this interesting doctor who knows about uh, breath work and stuff like that. Let's talk to him. Or here's this, um, you know, I don't know. Here's this guy who's uh, making this movie about this really kind of unique species in the jungle. Like, let's talk to him or, you know, whatever. It was stuff like that. And now all of a sudden, every single episode, every single one has something to do with coronavirus, has something to do with, uh, like, I don't know. And and people listen to these episodes, and then I have to see an article, basically, about how, oh, Joe Rogan is something this about trans or this about, you know, whatever. And it's just like, it's gotten politicized. Hold on, I have to go close this door. <laughs> but yeah, so basically, it's like, there is not... You know, it used to be just this thing that I would listen to and it would be kind of funny or pretty interesting or something like that. But now people who don't listen to the podcast have opinions about how whether or not he should be able to have certain guests on or whether or not this, that, whatever. So basically what I'm saying is that politics is ruining good things in my life in general. Like everything. I get text messages now from both sides of the aisle constantly, like near constantly. Uh like Have everything is just, huh? Have you voted? I voted. Yeah. I already sent in my ballot. I don't know what they want from me. <laughs> hmm. I wonder, cause I know once, as soon as I sent my, my ballot in and I saw that it was checked in and like accepted, I stopped getting all the texts. Mm. So I wonder if I'm on some special list. Maybe. I, I think it's also because Arizona is like actually a battleground state this time around. I know it's interesting. Yeah. So now it's like, I'm just getting hammered I th- by both sides and we're in a different county too that's probably what it is even though your jury duty doesn't know that yeah by the way i don't know if i ever brought this up on the podcast but thankfully somebody with a brain like read my because because they said don't call the number like even if you can't show up to jury duty don't call the number just fill out the survey and we'll take care of it 
But then I filled out the survey and weeks and weeks and weeks kind of went by and nothing changed. And I was like, oh, my God, am I going to have to go to jury duty in a completely different county? Like, this is going to be so annoying. And then finally, maybe two weeks before my scheduled date, they they said, like, oh, it's been like you've been removed from service. I was like, oh, thank God. Nice. nice. That got me super worried. But, yeah, I, I basically I know that politics is important and I know that voting is important and I know that. All this kind of stuff is important right now, especially. But why must everything revolve around this now? And I think that that may be one of the, not to get too preachy on a subject that I know very little about, but ultimately it's like, wouldn't we think that me and my neighbor have more in common than we have apart? Like the fact that we afford to live in the same area the fact that we both drive cars the fact that we you know whatever it's like in fact as it turns out in a coincidence my neighbor is a guy who i used to train jujitsu with but that's entirely separate so it's like you would think that we all have more in common than we have apart but now we have some sort of thing where it's like we have a divisionary rule that says oh obviously if you're voting for this person you're miles apart from the other person and they're totally different and you can't relate to them at all and i think that that's bad I think it's bad too. I think that's something that's been heightened uh, these yeah. last four years with this uh, presidency. Particular, yeah, yeah. I think he's yeah. very into divisiveness. Yeah. Also, I do think that yeah, there's like in theory, in practice, and not in practice, but in uh, I guess in theory, it, yeah, we have more in common with our neighbor than we don't. Yeah, but uh, there's a lot of people that have the opposite uh, opinion on that. Hmm. How, you know, if, uh, depending on like in the suburbs and in a rural city, like depending on what neighborhood you live in, people do judge their neighbors for not, you know, being one of them for not growing up in that neighborhood for being a different race, being a different religion. It's, uh, like, it'd be nice if that were true, but it's just not an actuality. Yeah, that's why, in a sense, I kind of think that, um, and, and I think you could probably fall under this category yourself, but it's like. In that sort of sense, I kind of feel like I come from the future, not obviously in the literal sense, uh, but in the sense that, you know, I'm uh, I'm exactly half white and exactly half not white. And I simultaneously have a, a steady job in a what used to be a red state and like all the stuff that would maybe mark you as like a conservative, but then at the same time, I've got tattoos and I have liberal sensibilities and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I think I'm from the future where all of this prejudice and, you know, whatever has kind of gone away. This is all what this is going to look like in in 40 years. You know what I mean? Nobody cares about tattoos anymore. Nobody cares about all this kind of stuff. Hopefully we get to a place where we can stop caring so much about race. I know that that's, it seems like that's a far cry because my God, like, yeah. You know, no, recent, no, yeah. recent events make it seem like we are actually way like earlier than we thought we were based on like, oh, it's 2020. It's been so many years since the civil rights movement. But it's like, shit. I mean, yeah. how much progress was really made? We're not sure. But I think I like it's kind of uh, I don't want to make a bold statement like uh, OJ when he said that he's he doesn't uh, identify as any race or something. He's he's post-racial. He's just OJ. But oh it's my like. God. I think I'm from the future. This is what we're all going to look like one day. So we should all, I mean, Chris and I already look alike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we look like cousins. Exactly. So it's like, you know, we should embrace thy neighbor and whatever. 
Right. I also think there is something, uh, going back to Joe Rogan, uh, uh, all, like, all roads point back to Rogan. <laughs> all, all roads point back to Rogan. Just this, this, um, you know, starting off as I think I've been, I was thinking about this earlier this week. It's just how how big is too big? Yeah. Well, yep. Like when do you stop being you, and when do you start being uh, part of a machine? Yep. How yep. much influence do you have? At what point does your influence going to, you know, basically change a country, an opinion, uh, yes, a, a class of people, uh, right? you know, an opinion about something scientific because you have this power that mm-hmm. you, you know, you didn't want it. Of course you didn't want it, but you have it. And like a refusal to acknowledge that power or a, a uh, you know, not taking a chance to recognize it and I think deal with it in a way that's, you know, fair and not fair and balanced. Cause that's very Fox newsies, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a slogan now. <laughs> yeah. So that, I don't know. That's that's I think, you know, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I get what you're trying to say. I think that that's definitely uh, good. We, we should definitely do a mini sode on that because I've got a lot of thoughts. And uh, I think I think you're you're on the money with exactly like what what it comes down to is influence. Right. Right. And that's why it's all in the same time. We've never been so empowered with technology or even with in certain cases with money or with uh, time, really, because like none of us have to go out and work a plow right now, basically. So we've never been more empowered with time and all that kind of stuff. And yet uh, depression and uh, uh, self-consciousness and things like this have never been higher. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is, uh, at least with the younger generations, uh, the Zoomers and all that, it's like it all has to do with the influence that other people have over you. And then you have, you're comparing yourself to people that you see on Instagram or whatever. And then you think that your life isn't enough or you're doing something wrong or you're not who you want to be or something like that. It's completely odd. I, I, uh, but that, that this is all dipping into that social dilemma (laughs) thing. Um, so you sent me, let's, let's bring this up. Let's, let's, you sent me a cryptic text yesterday. Uh Oh, yeah you sent me a cryptic text yesterday and you're you said have we talked about burned bridges have we was like i was like i don't think we have but now i'm super curious what you're referring to what's what's going on chris uh well it requires a lot of stories but i don't know just because because i definitely actually very recently i have some uh life experience with this as well so i'm curious where your head's at well i I had a conversation earlier this week with a fellow filmmaker here in town that's more of a technical filmmaker Uh, in that sense he's like more of a cinematographer he likes to take video more so than tell stories got it okay it's it's more about the 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 like how it looks and all this kind of stuff as a technical capacities as opposed to you know, what I'm shooting and why I'm shooting it and all that kind of stuff. Right. He's all about the camera and the lighting and like what lights are we using? Like, like the legit brand of light is important to him. The Got legit it. brand of camera and the, the type of lens and the focal length. Is it an 85 or 102? It's like he's very, uh, in that sense, that's a good skill to have for, a, you know, certain crew members on a set. Sure. I, li- I like to focus more on story and characters yeah. and blah, 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 blah. All the stuff that people watch. <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> but he was, uh, I guess he was, somebody reached out to him to work on this documentary, uh, 
some, I don't know if he was, uh, it was, it's a big time documentary. This documentary, the, the woman directing it, she also directed that, um, RBG documentary on Hulu. Oh yeah. 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 So it's like a pretty big deal. And he's yeah. worked on some other documentaries. He's worked on some big stuff before, uh-huh. but to him, this was like the largest thing he's ever worked on. Which actually, I don't mean to interrupt the narrative, but have you heard the news? What? Because you brought up RBG, and obviously RBG recently passed. Uh huh. Our good friend Mr. Connery passed today. I saw that. Yeah. Anyways, it's a bummer. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a bummer. Please continue. Just thought I'd throw that out for you. Um, we'll save our Sean Connery, uh, James Bond, best Bond conversation for another mini episode oh man can't (laughs) wait to get into that with you yeah let's do that (laughs) but he was talking about how he's never worked on like production he's been working on bigger productions lately and how it just feels like in our community here in tucson we don't have the capability of really matching with uh, like a hollywood set so there's in, in hollywood uh it's a union state Arizona is a right to work state. Right. Yeah. So right there, there's huge differences. Yes. Yes. So if you're a grip in California, you have to take classes on safety. You have to be certified to be on set. You have to have, you know, certain gear. It's like there's a way to do things because it's It's standardized. Right. And everybody does it the same way. And it's a big pain in the butt, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I find there's good things I like about it. And then there's things I really can't stand about it. Sure. I like sure. worker protection. I like insurance. I like fair rates and compensation, yeah. hourly rates that actually have overtime and time and a half. Like all that stuff is great. But if I'm on a set and I can't move a chair because I have to wait for props to come in and do it and they're on lunch. So now I have to wait an hour for someone to come move a chair. <laughs> uh, that drives me nuts. Right. So there's, there's a trade off, right? Like with, with these kind of, uh, unionized, there's, there's worker protection and there's, you know, kind of fair trade and a lot of stuff, but there's also so much red tape that it actually makes it more of a hassle than, than I, it I, needs to I, be. I, I don't know. If you have time and you have money, then that's fine. If yeah. you have to wait an hour for someone, I remember there was this, uh, uh, AV event I was working in Boston mm-hmm. and we had to move, uh, some, uh, case had wheels on it uh we had to take we had to take it up the elevator from like the street to like the top floor because it's boston and it's the city and sure. for some reason they put the events up high <laughs> but uh, uh i remember one of the people like whispering to me he's like you better get that now if you want it to set up for the rest of the day because the elevator guy is about to take a break and he's going to be gone for like an hour and if we didn't have this case for some reason it would have like slowed down the whole process of it's like some weird box with all the technical stuff in it. Wait, 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 wait. So if the elevator go- guy goes on break, you couldn't possibly bring it into the elevator and then take no. it up yourself. Right. We had to wait for the elevator guy to come back. And it was just this, it was the most frustrating union experience I've ever had was there in Boston. Cause there was a moment where you had to have the stage moved and the union guys couldn't be found in sight. And then we mm-hmm. moved the stage and then they get mad at us because we moved the stage. <laughs> And then they would just hang out and just watch us and then they would disappear. And then we'd have to wait to do, have them to do something else. But they magically disappear when work shows up. And it was just like this. Mm. It was like the most frustrating union experience I've ever had. But I appreciate unions. And I think there are good parts to them. I just want to say that on the record. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get some email, that's just like, hey, you fucking idiot. Like, yeah. 
Uh, but it's different here in Arizona, being a right to work state, you just say, Hey, do you want to work on this for a hundred bucks? Yeah. And people say yes or no. Cause yeah, it's a right to work state. You don't get insurance. You barely get food. It's just a different, <laughs> it's different here in Arizona. It's, which is fine, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's, but, it's complicated. But he was talking about how Arizona is not at that level yet to where we could, you know, if Captain Marvel 4 came to Arizona, our crew wouldn't be equipped enough to really uh, deal with that level of production because we're not standardized. Got it. Yeah. We can't we can't work with the crew from California. We can't work with the crew from New York, uh-huh. uh, even though I believe we have. <laughs> and uh he brought he was bringing another story came up in the middle of this story was um I mean didn't they didn't they film uh Transformers or whatever Transformers 6 at, over in the boneyard of Davis Monthan? Oh yeah, but they always bring in their own crew. Oh, okay. Got yeah, it. Yeah, so they okay. they do do these little spot checks. I know Fast and the Furious filmed in Phoenix as well. You would know uh, that. You know Transformers has, you know, they bring in California crew to work on it for a couple of days and then they bounce out. Got it. Okay. So, so that's just like they're taking their in-house people, moving them over here for just a little while and then right, going back. Right, okay. Right, right. Yeah, that's different. Uh, but then he was talking, because uh, he was uh, also complaining about, there's this other company in town. I guess I shouldn't name names. So I'm going <laughs> to not name names. Na- I'm going to avoid names this whole podcast. But yeah. if you do some research, I'm sure you can figure out who they are. <laughs> okay. So there's this, there's this uh, other company in town. They're actually across the street from me. Uh, they're in the neighborhood across the street from me on Stone, and they have this. They're, they're a equipment rental house slash production company. Okay, and okay. they have equipment, they have gear. All the local crew that's decent or good uh, is run through them because mm-hmm. you know they're kind of like the centralized hub of production in Southern Arizona. Sure. And one of these guys recently on a set, uh, mouth. He's a he's a he's a douchey guy. He's kind of a a prick. Prick is a good word for him. Mm, okay. But he mouthed off to the wrong guy, and this production lost a whole job because of this one guy saying one wrong thing to one person. Wait, wait, wait. Let me make sure I have the narrative straight. The one guy who is mouthing off is the same guy who was talking to you about how production... No. Okay. No, this is a separate... Separate guy. Okay. Just just keeping track of... of yeah. yeah. So uh, the guy I was having... Well, his name is Sean. I could say his name. So Sean is my friend <laughs> that I was talking to about productions in Southern Arizona. And he Got was it. telling me that at this other company, mm-hmm. there was a new person that is, that just is a prick. Yeah. Likes, likes to mouth off to everybody. Every time yeah. I've met him, he's been the worst person I've ever met, mm. but he's really good at his job, uh, which is something this company stands behind. If you're really yeah. good at your job, it doesn't right. matter if you're a douchebag or not. Mm. Yeah. I have a few of those. Okay. And so they lost a, a job and work's been slow lately. Like the only thing happening right now are political ads. And what yeah. he lost was a, a political campaign for this company. And that's huge at this time because that's the only work happening. At this stage, that would be the work. Like that would right. be the thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it just made me start to think about my relationship with this company and my relationship that I've had with other people in the film community mm-hmm. and how I've kind of, you know, I feel like I, I, it's, it wasn't really about burn bridges, but it's more about, I feel like I do burn a lot of bridges, but is it, is it, is it something that I should have done or should I have played the game longer or, uh, or is it a good thing that I've separated myself from what I see as dumpster fires all over town in the film community, even though they're he, doing decent stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting question because I, I also port that out basically because you are an entrepreneur of your of your own right, basically mm-hmm. starting Elephant Scout and all that kind of stuff. So I port that out to kind of more of a generalized, like less about the film community, but it kind of <clears throat> it's like. When do you make compromise and when do you kind of stick to your guns and sometimes sticking to your guns or having your certain opinion about something can rub someone the wrong way. Right. Yeah. I I mean, that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think, uh, this is where we could, uh, we could do a review of Sun Tzu's The Art of War, because I think that there's a fair amount in there about this very subject Uh kind of, but, um, yeah. I mean, it, especially in these kinds of cases, like if we were to extrapolate kind of what the what the negatives or what the fear is, right? The mm-hmm. fear is that you'll have less collaborators down the line, right? Right. And the fear is that you're projecting an image of yourself that says that like, oh, he can't uh, compromise or he can't work in this other sort of way. He has an uncompromising vision, which can be both a good thing and a bad thing, right? Because it's like right. they would say the same thing about Stanley Kubrick and it's a good thing. Right. But they can say that about somebody else and it would be a bad thing. So I guess it kind of depends. I I think ultimately what it comes down to is like twofold. Um, Because because I also like my whole thing, I I have have similar narratives. My whole thing is about winning right. Right. Like I, I I want I want to win always, but I also need to balance that out against what whatever like morality I inject into the subject is like winning right. And sometimes that does mean cutting people out and it, to use the phrase burning bridges, so uh-huh. to speak. Uh, so, I mean, for instance, uh, to, to kind of give a relatable narrative, I mean, you, you already know this narrative because you've been around for this for this period of time. But the company that I work for now, I also worked for from late 2017, like the end of 2017, into 2019. Um, And it came down to the point where, you know, I was doing an excellent job. And I was and this is actually a very this probably serves as like both a lesson and an example in burning bridges, but then also how to reconcile these Uh, so I worked for this company and I was doing a really great job, but I was in a position that had very low visibility and I was just getting worked to death and it just wasn't clear where this was going. And to be honest, I own 50% of the reason as to why this all went south, because as with anything, like I always have some sort of impact on what I'm doing. And therefore, because this didn't go the direction that I would have preferred it to, like at least some of that has to do with my influence. Um, but, but basically I didn't want, you know, I wasn't like holding anyone hostage over a promotion or over a raise or anything like that. In fact, I specifically said when I met with my manager, I was like, look, I don't want a number. I don't want to hold you hostage over anything like this. I just need to know that there's a plan. I need to know that something's, you know, happening here. Otherwise I'm just kind of sitting in the same seat and, you know, this doesn't, this isn't what I want for my life. So you know, we need to figure this part out. And I was basically told that, um, that, uh, oh, well, we can't tell you anything and we blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And to me, that reads as we don't know, like we don't know. 
and meanwhile, I was getting offers from other organizations that were pretty like they were firm. They were on paper. They were on an official offer letter that all I had to do was sign. And now I have this whole like I have a new path. Uh-huh. So because that answer was unsatisfactory to me and here was kind of the the difference, I think, between where I could have burned a bridge and where I didn't. When I gave my notice, the manager was uh, like actively kind of upset and said and said like, oh, I feel like she said, I feel misled by you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I was like, oh, how how so? And I realized that it was just because I didn't leave that initial meeting where I said, you know, do we have a plan or whatever? Because I didn't leave in a huff. I didn't leave all angry. This person thought that like, oh, everything's fine. It's like, no, I'm just professional. Like, I'm not I'm not going to throw a fit about not getting what I want, but I'm also not going to sit here and, you know, take like be taken for granted, basically. Uh-huh. It's like, I'm going to do something about it. It doesn't matter to me, like how you take it necessarily. So that then, of course, was like kind of a poor instance where it kind of seemed like I was going to burn that bridge. And like I was because this person was actively saying not aggressive things, but in a in a business professional tone that evokes like being angry or being upset. You know what I mean? So without Uh saying like, hey, you fucking, you know, whatever, like my manager was basically telling me that like, oh, I feel misled and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. But I just had a formal, you know, I I typed out a a letter. I gave them a month's notice. I worked until the very last day and then I left. And then so fast forward to, you know, I think seven or eight months after that and they give me a call back and they're basically saying like, hey, we really need a person who does this. Not your old job, but we do need somebody who does this. You know, and they came to the table with a deal. And when I came back to the organization, I was very concerned about, you know, several things. I was concerned about the fact that like, oh, am I walking into a trap basically where because they know that I'm a deserter because I, you know, burned this bridge, they're going to keep me in this new seat now and not not promote or not let me grow or not let me do all this kind of stuff. And uh, and. It didn't actually end up being that way. And the reason why it didn't end up being that way is because I comported myself like very professionally at the time, but also was very firm. So I think that's kind of where that compromise angle comes in is that, no, I'm not going to uh, like you. You want I, I don't think you can compromise your vision for something, especially, you know, I mean, you're referencing kind of how you like your life, right? Like filmmaking and, and how you do a good job at that and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that, that is everything. So you're not going to compromise against that, but then also how you relate this information or how you treat other people essentially is going to be that difference. So now I'm back into the fold and, uh, there is still a little bit of tension between me and the person who I quit with, but everybody else is fine. Uh So I'm still a little worried a a little bit about, you know, burning bridges. But I think because I actively put in the effort to make it not seem like that, I think that that's not the impression. I did the complete opposite. (laughs) Oh, I always I always do the complete opposite. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I guess it it can go all the way back to even like 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of my first big projects here in Tucson was for school. 
and I was working on, I wrote a Western. It was called okay. Fistful of Ugly. Okay. And it was an eight minute short. And I went to Old Tucson here in town, which is uh, no longer open because of right. COVID. Also, also poor management. Mm. Uh, it was too expensive to shoot there. So I asked around and a friend, uh, my, one of my writing instructors was like, you got to talk to this guy. This guy, we should give him a name. I'm not going to name names. Yeah. But this guy knows all the guys in town. He's a stuntman. He does uh, westerns. He's like, he's the guy to talk to. Okay. And so this guy is a few years older than me. I want to say maybe three years older than me. Uh, And he went through the same film program that I went through. And everybody thought he was, you know, this, the the next big thing. He was the the all end all. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Especially at Pima, there were, there were always like stars of each class, like the person (laughs) making better stuff in each of, you know, in each class. Right. Yeah. And, and that his, and him and his friends were the star of their class and it was two, two, three classes before me. So it's a Mm. little bit older than me. So I uh, went and talked to him. I was like, hey, I need to make a Western. This is my script. He's like, hey, this is pretty good. I can help you out with this. I can act it in if, if you want. I have this. I have this. I have all this crew. If you want a location that's uh, cheap, go to this place up in Phoenix. Mm. And there's like this little tiny Western town. And I think it was in Goodyear. Mm. And mm-hmm. so uh, I drove. I looked at the location. I met the guy there. And the guy was uh, super nice. I went up with a friend of mine. <laughs> But he was like this weird eccentric guy. Yeah. You know, he had like rock star hair, like really okay. curly, big hair. Sure. And he was like name dropping left and right because that's what people do in the film industry. It's always uh, about name dropping, especially here in Arizona. If you can't drop a name, you're you're a nobody, which is pretty sad. <laughs> so we, we're there for like two hours. We're scouting locations. We're blocking scenes. We're like, hey, we can shoot this here. We can shoot this mm-hmm. there. Can we have a horse here? Can we have a, can we shoot some guns here with blanks? And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever you want, anything like that. So we go through this whole two-hour meeting. We uh, put a date in the calendar. Uh, and we're, As we're leaving, as we're literally walking out the door, the guy goes, oh, don't forget about the insurance thing, uh, your insurance certificate. And I'm like, what? I'm like, all right. And I just left because it was literally <laughs> as we were walking out the door. Mm-hmm. So in my head, this isn't a big deal. Yeah, it's, it was an aside. Right. Why would he, you know, why would you not bring that up sooner? Like, why is that not the first thing you bring up if it's not important? Yeah. So I go back to school. I talk to the instructor and I was like, hey, instructor, they asked me for an insurance certificate. And the instructor was like, no, uh, we only provide that for this one class, but not for your class. And I'm like, all right, well, cool. And then I looked it up. (laughs) I looked it up and insurance was like a thousand bucks. I'm like, yeah, uh, let me call Pass. this. Let me call this this cool kid that everyone's like. You should talk to this guy, uh, and I'll see what he says. So I said, "Hey, dude, uh, cool kid." The uh, <laughs> the guy was like, you know, really nice and everything, and we saw the whole location. But like at the end, he like threw away. He like had this throwaway line of like, "We need insurance." It's like, is that a what is up with that? Is that a big deal? Uh-huh. And the cool kid was like, "No, nah, it's fine. You can shoot there. I'll be there." Uh, if, if he gives you any grief, just have him talk to me. You know, it'll be fine. And you're like, okay, cool, kid. I'm like, famous last words, right? Yeah, it'll um, be fine. So uh, we get up to the location to shoot. We we only have enough money for a day. It was like 500 bucks for the day. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, there was just nothing for this entire Western town. Uh, we get there at like four in the morning. So we have to leave at like two, like three in the morning, something ridiculous. Jeez. And so I get there and the guy's like, Hey, where's your insurance certificate? And I'm like, Oh, 
cool guy said I didn't need to worry about it. And he's like, oh, we can't shoot here. Uh, you're shut down. You can't shoot here. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. And then cool guy shows up and talks to the guy. And then, and then cool guy like disappears into the, 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 was it the dusk, the dawn, the dusk light on like this weird bridge location in the middle Uh of this weird Western set. And I'm like, all right, well, we're not shooting today, guys. So we all start packing up our stuff and then we start driving back to Tucson. Yeah. So I go to find cool guy and cool guy is like, like sit, like leaning on this bridge with a friend of his, I think it was his sister or this other girl that is, uh, an editor, uh, but he's just like standing there with his hands in his face and he's like crying. And I walk up and I can, all I can hear is say, I try so hard. I try so hard. Oh my God. And I'm like, uh, Hey dude, we're taking off. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> but at this time, uh, the film community was kind of putting all their energy into this one person, this one cool guy. Yeah. And like, Oh, he's going to be the savior of the film community here in Southern Arizona. And mm-hmm. he made a feature and he made some other stuff. But to me, I was like, this isn't, this guy's, he was kind of a douchebag. I mean, it's a little, it's a little loony. Yeah. So, uh, so instead of being, you know, diplomatic and nice and saying, thank you, I said all that stuff. Yeah. But from, from that day forward to me, he's been known as in my head, tight pants douchebag. Cause he oh, always wears that guy. Yeah. Cause he always wears Wranglers that are a little on the tight side. The snug side. And he's a douchebag. So I always called him tight pants douchebag and I'm not ashamed to call him tight pants douchebag. I probably wouldn't call him that to his face. I probably would if the circumstances were cor- but like proper. Mm-hmm. But everyone I know that has worked with him, I tell them that's my nickname for him. And no one has ever said, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't call him that. Yeah. Everyone always laughs at it. So it's it's like truth. It's Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a probably a, a decently accurate read. So... How has that interaction has that? Oh, well, let me let me instead of starting with that question, has that interaction come back to be problematic for you in in I guess you know, only future in, productions and like in like the morality sense of it all and like my ego sense of it all. Mm. Um, so that production company that's across the street from me that lost the political ad that's like the big production hub in town. Mm-hmm. Back in 2005, it was owned by this other guy named Ron Misty. And Ron Misty was like a key grip in LA. He was like a key grip on Logan's Run, like the okay. 1970s <laughs> movie of the version of the island. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen the island. I have. But uh, he was he he sold his company. And Taipan's douchebag came across some money somehow, magically, <laughs> and was able to purchase this company and kind of became the owner of this rental house hub place. Okay. So in theory, if I needed to rent a bunch of gear for a large production, Uh I would, I could go through this company and it could be a strained relationship there. Yeah. So I've never dealt with them personally, but uh, people I have worked with on set uh, have dealt with them and it's worked out fine. Mm. So, I mean, this is this is kind of the thing, especially with, uh, you know, kind of the younger entrepreneur uh, uh, population, sort of like that's kind of more the angle that's concerning. Right. Because you're bound to ruffle feathers with your own individual work style. And especially if you're the kind of go getter that's trying to start your own company or trying to make your own product or try to do your own thing like 
you're bound to kind of be pushing against somebody, even even somebody as a uh, you know like Preston, where it doesn't seem like anything he's doing. But what happens when he is actually stepping on someone's toes just because they're inventing the same kind of game that right. has somebody else? You right. know, like no matter what you do, we don't exist in a vacuum. I think that's the reality that we have to come to terms with: is that we don't re- we don't exist in a vacuum. So no matter what. Any actions that we do that might have consequence to others can be perceived both positively and negatively. Um, and and the, I think the concern for most, you know, kind of younger entrepreneurs and that sort of thing, especially, you know, what I've experienced in, earlier in my career and stuff like that, uh, some some pretty interesting choices that I've made. Um, you end up. I, I kind of I, I don't want to say that it's it's natural or that it's going to happen, but it kind of seems like it will anyways. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it because the idea, especially if you're, you know, someone in the I mean, San Francisco is pretty much over. But earlier, that was the hub. That was the tech hub for anything. And people moved to San Francisco to be an entrepreneur the way people move to uh, uh, L.A. to be an actor or move to New York to be a writer. Uh-huh. You, you see what I'm saying? It's like that was the hub for that sort of thing. And it was less about being discovered, but it was more that, oh, here's the place where I can go and everyone's favorite word network. And, right. You know, meet people. And once I tell them, I pitch them my idea. And now maybe I have an investor. And now, you know, all this kind of stuff. That kind of story is or that narrative is just rife with the ability to be burning bridges or doing something like that if you're not exceptionally careful. Because. You're going to, you know, try and get an investor who thinks or even, um, you know, to, to use a narrative of my own as a microcosm. Like, let's just I'm doing this project right now that to me should be roughly five to 10 percent of my time because mm-hmm. this project is very non-essential. It is not anything to me that moves the needle, but somebody came to me and had a whole bunch of ideas about how they wanted to change things in our internal systems, like actually how we do stuff. And I said that that is not exactly a possibility because all these software changes, blah, 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 tech stuff, tech stuff, tech stuff. But what I did say, I was like, look, what we can do is we can just because it sounds like this is a problem that can be solved either through systems or it can be solved through training other people. So what we can do is we can just start this monthly initiative where we're um, building, we're we're kind of sending out these new system updates and here's the preferred method and here's a walkthrough of like how you should be doing this. And, you know, that uh, and and that was fine. And we started on this project, right? But yet somehow, and I suspect I'm not, this is totally just, I suspect that this other person that I'm collaborating with just has way more free time than I do, or maybe isn't as interested in their main job as I am, or isn't as sunk in as deep or something like that, because they are just scheduling meetings constantly. They're changing their ideas of what they want this thing to represent They're saying, oh, well, we need to pull in and they use buzzwords constantly that drives me up the wall where they're saying like, oh, we need content from all these different people and let's set meetings with all these different teams individually so we can get content from them. And then at the end of the month, we'll have a content review meeting with each of these entities. And it's like, hey, this is taking up so much time. 
You know, and so I'm trying to be polite, but I'm finding myself more and more aggravated every single time that it's like, look, I signed on to help because I'm good at the technical aspects of what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm writing up a bunch of stuff. You're setting a whole bunch of meetings that you're committing us to that we're asking people for content and nobody wants to do that because nobody wants to take the time to write up stuff. So ultimately, I'm writing up stuff. I built the format, like, because we had to build this in an Outlook template, and this person didn't know how to do that. So then I had to figure out, like, I watched YouTube videos until I could figure out, like, oh, okay, I'm going to stage this in Photoshop, basically, and make it look all pretty, and then build that into a custom Outlook template, and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, I'm doing all this legwork for something that, you know, you're setting meetings and just occupying my time. Right. And then... Every time that I'm submitting something that's like, oh, here's a it's like a technical specification of how you need to get into this system to look at, you know, whatever. And then you keep bringing up things like, oh, should we be doing more about, you know, uh, surveys or interviews with people or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this to me represented five to 10 percent of my time, not, you know, I'm not trying to get near to 50 percent or whatever you're trying to do. Like, this is right. insane. So. Um, you know, in that kind of sense, it's, it's sort of the similar thing where it's like, look now as a result of doing a project with another person, inevitably you are going to have differences in opinion. You're going to have different stylistic, you know, like I like to work this way, whereas this person likes to work that way. Like that stuff is natural for me. It would be quite painless or just you know, nothing would really happen if I just said, okay, I'm out. Like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, uh -huh. whatever. But if you're, and that's because I kind of have my other stuff that's also working or whatever. But if you're an entrepreneur and you end up taking on an investor or you end up, you know, getting a new partner or you end up doing something, it's like that can have deep set consequences, uh, not only just to your product, your company, your, you know, whatever it is, because you run the risk of changing things or doing something the way that you don't like to or anything like that. But also then the alternative is if you kick this person out, which happens all the time, like dynasty changes in San Francisco happen all the time. You know what I mean? Like all these tech startups have people in and out and in and out and in and out. Like people mostly do six month rotations in these tech startups and they don't right. actually land anywhere. Uh, and now you run the risk of, Oh, well that person is actually a really good friend of this high-end investor and now you're definitely not getting funding from them uh -huh. and that kind of stuff so it's just a lesson in being able to like i i think the risk or the run rate for yourself is low like like you said because look you could go through this this gear rental company basically or or uh, do they also do like crew stuff or is it just yeah they do a lot of crew stuff they do okay. a lot of local productions they do if, if, if a big anything big coming through town they go to them first yeah. Even if it's okay. like photo shoots, it's they all go through them first. Yeah. So so, I mean, you you are running the risk of basically like either having awkward, <laughs> you know, work level interactions or potentially not being sourced th like through them or not. like they might not want to work with you. But at the same time, you know, you're. You're in, in a sense, you're protecting your own your own projects or your own stuff because you know what kind of people that you would work with and what kind of behavior that you would tolerate when doing a production and what you won't 
Right. So, so it's like, it's, it's this kind of fine line where you want to please everybody. But at the same time, if you're just willing to like, for instance, think about your, your feature Eddie mummy, if this was the kind of stuff that was going on or actually more importantly, uh, the, the shorts, the, the murder mystery shorts, those were at least from an outsider's opinion, I have no idea, but it seemed like those were on a really tight deadline. Right. You know what I mean? Because you had all this stuff going on simultaneously. You were shooting the shorts, but then also figuring out the live component and like all these different things going on together. So it's like you don't have the time budget nor the money budget to show up on site and then be like, oh, well, we're not shooting today. We're we're fucking bailing. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like it's it's a fine line between like working well with other people, but then also you know, not letting your, your, uh, project or your business or whatever be completely compromised by the poor work ethic of others, essentially. Right. I mean, the the more I've I've looked at all the bridges that I've burned, I mean, there's, I could tell two (laughs) other stories, Yeah, but it it all comes down to, uh, not meshing mostly with personalities Yeah, yeah, and just not wanting to work with this, this douchebag that doesn't really treat people well, yeah. has a reputation for not being easy to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would I want to work with a person like that? Uh, there's someone else. Uh, there's two people like that. There's two douchebags that I've worked with that I've burned bridges with. And I'm like, if I never work th- with them again, I'm fine. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and then one was just kind of just creepy. It was just like really weird. He was like really attached to me and wanted to be like best friends in a weird mm. way. And I'm like, stay away from me. This is yeah. weird. But But it's more of a... But if you, if you look at their successes, they've had way more successes on a, on a public platform, I guess you could say, on a popular platform. Mm-hmm. If you look at the list of companies, the company across the street has worked on, they've worked with huge names that I guess you could associate with success. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this other uh, person that I worked with that does rope tricks. You know, okay. he's, he's had a lot of success. I helped him with the short film at the beginning of the year. And it's like, like a, a quarter million views on YouTube right now. Wow. And so uh, we had a little blowout in the middle of a Starbucks, which was hilarious. But uh, <laughs> he's just someone I just never want to work with again, just because of the way he was treating people. And, yeah, yeah. and this whole process of trying to, you know, you can get lost in this idea of what success is, you know, unlike what your parents basically say is success. Right. Like if you have a movie that is number one in the box office, you know, lots of people can associate that with success Mm -hmm. versus making a something that somebody wants to watch uh, over and over again. You know, even though it might not have be number one in the box office or a quarter million views, you can still say I had a positive screening with an audience of 300 people. Yeah. You know, I, I can connect with an audience that way. And it's just, you can get lost in this uh, perception of what success is and whether or not you should be hopping on other people's coattails just to get a taste of it or yeah. continue to do the hard work to do it on your own. Yeah, And yeah. it's just, uh, it's a weird thing to uh, process as you're going through your career, looking back at choices you've made, looking back at decisions you've made and small successes you've had and big ones. And it doesn't really... Like, where is it going to like, what, I guess what I need to do is define what I see for myself as success and then focus on that versus being derailed by a stupid conversation in my friend's garage about the projection company across the street being the only company in town that can 
compete with the Hollywood version film set. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, that's kind of the thing at the end of the day, you're not really going to have to answer to anyone but yourself. Right. I mean, that's, that's just the truth of it. Right. Because I, I, and I have this conversation with myself actually a lot in a different context, but there are certain things that, you know, you never know when you're, because also burning a bridge doesn't necessarily come in this only in this format where it's like a one-to-one person-to-person sort of thing. It comes in many sorts of formats. Like, uh, for instance, I, uh, for, Oh wait, you know what? Never mind. I can't talk about that on a podcast. It's a uh, so we both know this guy. He works out at the gym he used to attend here in Tucson. Oh yeah, yeah. I how do I already know who you're talking about? And he's this really angry guy. Yes, he's very angry. Yep, we're talking about the same person. And so um he dated one of the actors from the Mummy movie for like a week. Uh, without saying the person's name, give me the character's name. Tiffany. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I saw them out at a movie once and I thought it was strange that they were together. And then uh, Tiffany. It's an odd pairing. I'll it is an that. odd pairing. But I guess if like I knew I've known him for a while and his previous uh, person that he was dating and they have, he has a, he has a type. Let's just say yeah. that he has okay, a type. Sure. sure. Um, so let's just say they dated for like a week and they're, they, they, they uh, didn't have an amicable split. He was very angry and upset. And so apparently uh, one of the things that he did was he sent a picture of a person hanging uh, Lynch on fire uh, from a bridge Good Lord. to Tiffany. So that's a literal burning bridge. Right. And uh, she had the best response before she blocked him. And I thought I've, it, it stuck with me for a long time. Because yeah. this was like, uh, it's just like years ago. And her response was, uh, burn bridges, light my way. <laughs> uh, and then she blocked him. Wow. And it was just like, oh, that's a really uh, smart way to look at it. Yeah, that's, that's a, that is a smart way to look at it. I think that there's several, um, there, there's like a lot of ways to deal with these kinds of things. And I think maybe Tafani had the right idea there, right? Because uh, especially as you go through your professional career, I don't want to say it's inevitable to kind of uh, have these clashes or have these stylistic clashes or to not get along with someone or to sometimes even burn a bridge. I would personally say that that's inevitable, but then again, I I don't know. Maybe some people are a little bit more compromising and some people are a little bit more pleasant to be around than myself. So, you know, maybe that doesn't happen to some people. But for instance... With myself, uh, there are even certain career paths that I can can no longer be in. You know what I mean? Like there's, well, not no longer be in, but there's, without getting specific, because I, this was the story I was going to tell, but then I realized that I technically signed an NDA, so I can't, like, I talk about it with you, because you and I are just two people talking about it, but I'm not going to put it on a broadcast that can be downloaded. You see what uh-huh. I'm saying? But essentially for a period of time, or... I went out for a job that has very uh, high and specific selection criteria, and I actually met you just after this period in time, or maybe maybe around this period in time is when you and I kind of met each other. And um, 
And uh, I was all set to get the job. Like I basically had a two month or like a month, two month, you know, period of time where I was not officially selected for the job, but then became officially selected for the job. But then when it came down to it, it was basically putting me in a place uh, that it just wasn't under favorable conditions. And at the time I was only 22 or 23. And so I, you know, declined for, you know, several reasons. But this this company had already kind of invested some time and some money into me, and they completely did not expect anyone to say no. Mm-hmm. They didn't expect anyone to get through that month or two months and then be like, uh, no, I'm, you know, I'm good. Like, thank you. For, because they only presented the official offer at the end. Uh-huh, of course. Right? And it wasn't a conversation. It wasn't a like, okay, here's what blah, blah, blah. It was just more of like an appointment. And, um, you know, I regret making the decision that I did now because it turns out that this line of work or this thing is actually like suited towards my mentality and like what I do. Although I'm not really sure what the career growth from there. I mean, a lot of things, a lot of things were problematic. But now it's, uh, you know, I had the discussion with uh, Tori about, you know, oh, yeah, like, you know, that would be an interesting I saw because I saw a post on LinkedIn for not the position that I would have gotten with this company, but a senior position. And the money was ludicrous. Like, was it just insane? Like, let's a senior position of whatever this vague thing that I'm talking about. It was posted at like 250K. Wow. So I was like, wow. OK, I mean, how many years does it take to become a senior person in this? Probably, you know, whatever. It's like, wow, I could have been. You know, if I had started at that same time and fast forward to now, because now I am. So if I was 23 at the time, I'm turning 29 now. So that would have been six years doing this job. I maybe would have accelerated into this you know, position. So I kind of had this uh, this uh, FOMO, as the kids say, or, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever about that. And it's just one of those things that, you know, they're not going to accept me now. Because I said no, there's no way if like, you know, you probably already know what I'm specifically talking about, uh-huh. but there's no way in that career field that if you've said no and you've walked away from it, that they would ever take you again. Like that. It's just how it is. Right. Uh-huh. But so there's this uh, great essay for for any listeners. I think I've told Chris about this many times, so he's probably going to roll his eyes when I say the name of this essay. But there's this great essay by Paul Graham. He's uh, one of the founders of Y Combinator. So he's one of these uh, startup, you know, geniuses and all that kind of stuff. Um, But he's also an essayist. He's also a professor. Uh, This guy, Paul Graham, he wrote this essay about um, staying upwind and how you don't want to get so specialized so early on in your career that you can no longer, you know, pivot or you can no longer get into other, other kind of things. And I think that that same essay, the spirit of that essay can also be applied towards burning bridges and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You don't kind of want to make these decisions, these hard line decisions that early on until you really kind of figure out what you're doing. But I do think it's also important to you know, have an uncompromising vision. Don't be that person who's willing to waffle on everything. And even though you feel something is wrong, you'll do it anyways. And all this kind of stuff, you know, like I wouldn't say I wouldn't, I would say you've definitely burned a bridge, but I also wouldn't say feel bad about it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) of course you don't, of course you don't. But, but that's sort of the thing. It's like, once you figure out 
and that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the thing about growing up. And if you're in the younger kind of early, early phase of your career, you're in your early 20s, you have a lot of figuring out to do. So it wouldn't behoove you to burn bridges necessarily that young because you don't know what you're going to end up wanting to do or who you're going to want to do it with. It might turn out that this person that you're very critical of or that you're clashing with, they might end up being right. You never know. Right. That said, you know, you don't want to. So this uh, I'll 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 you know, finish with an anecdote that's not mine, but one that I can actually tell the details of because I'm sure the previous one was frustrating as fuck because people are just like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, uh, but uh, Matthew McConaughey uh, is on this. Oh, that's why I brought it up. That's why I brought it up. Matthew McConaughey is on this recent push because he has a book coming out. Green Lights. I haven't read it, so I don't know if it's good or not, but it might be interesting. Um, and I'm a big McConaughey fan. I'm just going to come out and say that right off the top. Uh, I like the way he thinks. I like the stuff that he does. Um, I mean, sure, he had that period of time. I like the fact that he can be funny and kind of self-deprecating about that period of time where he was just the shirtless guy in rom-coms. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, he openly talks about that. That, like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't serving myself best and I wasn't doing, you know, whatever. But he had this great commencement speech for, I think, UT Austin, somewhere in Texas. I think it was UT Austin. And in that commencement speech, he talks about how he got his first, you know, kind of role where he was making like 300 bucks a day that he was on set. He was very excited. It was uh, Richard Linklater uh, with uh, Days and Confused. And, you know, they just kept bringing him back because he was only supposed to be there for a certain amount of days. He plays kind of a smaller role in it, Wooderson. All right, all right, all right, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, and uh, he says that, uh, you know, they kept saying like, oh, he was great. He was great. And would he want to come back and do more? Would he want to? And he was like, hell yeah. Like, give me more more days on set. He's making 300 bucks a day. He's having a blast. But upon review, a recent review at the time of the commencement speech. So now that's probably who knows how old. Mm-hmm. But at a recent at a time of recent review. So later on in his career. He was watching the film and he realized that there were scenes that he was not supposed to be in, that there's this point in time where Wooderson was going to go and uh, get some Aerosmith tickets. And he asks people, hey, you know, anyone want to come ride with or whatever? And he's got one guy who's coming with, but then everyone else is like, no, we're good. You know, whatever. And he says, all right. And he exits, you know, screen left or screen right. I don't know what the fucking, you know, but then he comes back. And says, hey, y'all sure that you don't want to, you don't want to go, you know, whatever. And what McConaughey is saying is like he, what he realized later in life, because at the time he was just stoked to be on screen more. He was stoked to be acting more. He was stoked to be, you know, uh, getting more money. But what he realized is that that scene shouldn't have existed. The character is not the type to think like, oh, I, like, I need to go back and ask. I need to, you know, he's a person who's so sure of himself that he asks once and he doesn't look back. He doesn't falter. He doesn't stutter step. He just goes. Mm-hmm. And that's the character. And so the scene is a disservice to the film and to the character because it completely acts against what that person would be like. And I think that that's kind of the same thing with, uh, you know, this topic of burning bridges and all that kind of stuff is that, like, you don't want to you don't want to, you know, just be completely okay and be callous with just like cutting people off and just I'm headstrong, I'm doing whatever. 
but you also don't want to compromise on that vision either. Like, you don't want to have that scene, and obviously, if you know, if you're not a film person, if you work, you know, in something else, if you work in tech or whatever, it would obviously be something else. But you don't want that scene that doesn't make sense for what you're trying to do. Like, you right. don't want that. So, don't necessarily just be, you know, wildly cutting people out of your life and burning bridges because you never know when an opportunity will arise again. But don't compromise entirely on your vision and that's a tough thing to balance especially for young entrepreneurs but uh you know that's that's the thing it's like it uh kind of seems like it's more about consistency than anything else right in I a vague sort of sense right well yeah i guess it's, it's about consistency and confidence in your consistency <laughs> <laughs> Consistency and confidence in your consistency. I like that. Let's put that on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs>